welcome then to this year's forward-winning poet, Varney Capaldeo. Varney. Quite a lot of my work has been done for me by the previous talk with that distinction between wandering at and wandering about is one that's been foremost in my mind. One thing I would like to say is uh, the idea of the poem as an object of wonder. Wonder is not necessarily a positive word. If you think of yourself as being a Jane Austen woman, you might think, oh, I wonder at the excessive fancy, I wonder at the precipitancy, I wonder at the irrational behavior of such and such and such. Similarly, I think sometimes people imagine that they need to adopt a special voice for poetry, or need to get to the meaning, or need to have an emotion that fizzles like a lemon sherbet on the tongue. And all of these things are very good, I used to work for the Oxford English Dictionary, which is a curiously scientific sort of thing. It isn't green-shaded lamps, it's XML tagging. And uh, the word poetry would have lots and lots and lots of different branches. So as far as I'm concerned, uh, someone doing a highly classical form, uh, which is very repetitive uh, and needs to follow canonical traditions uh, in Arabic or Persian, is doing poetry and somebody at a slam in Chicago is also doing poetry. All of which is really to say that when I do my reading, please don't try too hard to understand things, but either take it as slow-release vitamins, <laughs> or a sort of verbal music. One of the things that I have wondered at is simply the quality of different languages in terms of sound to move people. So hearing a language you don't speak at all, and then feeling something which isn't, isn't I think, purely associative. And this is one of the reasons I learned Old Icelandic when I was at university, was simply because the lecturer began the seminar by reading a bit of Old Icelandic out loud. and there was a sort of hissing, crackling quality to it. And I thought I simply need to be able to make these sounds and to have my mouth physically inhabited by the articulations of flesh and breath which would produce these sounds. So the topic I'm supposed to be speaking on is other. And uh, there's an interesting tradition in Icelandic, which is Edaic poetry, which is not court poetry, but rather belongs to the common Germanic tradition of alliterative verse. And it may, may include traces of encounters that people have had wandering along the way. So there's a kind of otherness of encounter inscribed within it. And there's one particular legend which is analogous to the legend of Wayland Smith that we have in Britain. And Völundr is a smith who is married to a swan maiden, which is quite a bad investment because she then flies off. 
And then in a sort of bear-like way, he just takes to hunting in the forest uh, and smithying lots of beautiful jewelry, which he strings along his hall in the hope that he will be able to give it to her as a present to when she comes back. So when he's out hunting, a local lord sends his soldiers to the hall and they go up and down and through it and round about and they look at everything and they take one of the, the rings off the string. And when Volander comes back, he sees a ring is missing and is really pleased because he thinks his wife is there. Then, then the men ambush him, hamstring him, bind him and take him to an island where he's forced to make jewelry for the court. He lures the Lord's sons into having their heads chopped off. And he sends their silvered skulls as drinking bowls and their eyes as jewels. He seduces and impregnates the Lord's daughter so the Lord's line will then contain his seed. And then he flies away on mechanical wings that he fits to his legs, laughing, which then of course clearly exists into a parallel with the, the Greek myth of Daedalus, but a little bit happier if you take the Smith's point of view. <laughs> if you take the Smith's point of view. But I was actually thinking of this in relation to, to some of the, the curious othering that we do of the Nordic and Scandinavian countries in the British popular media, because I was looking at, at two curious trends earlier this year, one reporting on plans, I believe, by Denmark to take away valuables from migrants, supposedly to pay for what their care would cost the state, I mean, obviously, if a migrant has valuables, uh, I mean, something like a wedding ring, I imagine, that, that would be a scrap of humanity that you take with you. It's not necessarily gold that you're taking to barter. And then the other strand of othering that we were doing in the British press uh, was looking at how terribly comfortable Scandinavian coziness is, uh, that we need to hunker down like the Scandinavians. I was experiencing quite a lot of cognitive dissonance because these two things uh, would not appear in the same report. Uh, they would just appear one on top of each other in the Google News Feed or the Facebook threads. So this poem's in for no, three parts, and it should be performed by a whole cast of people, but I'll do my best. Ringing Vullender Kvitha, Wayland Smith moves. One, swan maiden, from the south, towards forest, to the coast, to rest. Are you tuning into fortune? What fate is playing you? Check on the weather, chase down the weather for hunting, for turning. Come in and go out and look about. Go out and come in and look about. Enemies would nail you and scrape the moon pale. Whatever you have, whatever you love, enemies would take it, enemies would drop it. Whatever you seek, whatever you make, enemies would take it, enemies would drop it, take, drop, take, drop, take. Love, 
sleep in expectation. O oh, love, waken in dejection. Your hands that worked metal are weighted with metal. Your feet are fettered, your tendons are scissored. They legislate that they have taken what you owe them. You lament that they have taken what you own. Oh, my river of swanstown. Oh, my heart of gold. Two, hunters and government. We like what he does. We like it so much. We'll send to the forest and have him trussed up, indentured and hamstrung, the workmanlike guest of a wealthy host. Let him have an island which he must not leave. Exercise his traditions, since he cannot leave. Artisanal, isolate. I am the guest you keep because you can use, have used, or cannot avoid them. Yet your surprise when I lure your sons to their death is endless. When I silver their skulls and return them for you to drink from, when by smithcraft I prize out their eyes and reset them as bling for your sacrosanct ignorant women, I am the prisoner whose wife allegedly had flown away. I who had joy am joyless and make joylessness and fool your daughter and fill her with grandchildren and stamp out your laughter. Though I languish under your vigilance, my wounds are wings. Watch me go, if you can see how my love and I never stopped flying. I wish I could say I was going to move on something a bit more cheerful. But I haven't been doing cheerful lately. But it's a terrible use of the verb doing, isn't it? I'm not a medic, but one thing I would really like is if more medics would, cha would uh, challenge more robustly peculiar ideas of race in the popular media, which I rarely view as a cultural construct rather than a biological one. Because I'm absolutely sick of people telling me things like I ought to eat fish or I ought to be allergic to dairy or something or whatever, and then I have to tell them something incredibly racist to shut them up, uh, such as I actually have A negative rather than B positive blood, uh, and maybe it's because my ancestors were Aryan invaders, uh, which is again a horrible word to have to... Could people just put in the press that, that, that this stuff doesn't work? Uh, stop doing it. <laughs> Another thing that I wonder at uh, is uh, the history that sifts through landscapes uh, and uh, the way that the past can be alive in the present. Because without becoming at all spiritual, as the daughter of a woman who studied 18th century philosophy, it's not something I do readily, then I 
am nonetheless interested in how one of the particular powers of poetry can be to let us seem to channel voices or speak with those who are other by language or culture or just by being dead. So there's a kind of Rosemary Sutcliffe sense of the Northwest to Oxfordshire landscape, which is one I know very well in this particular poem, where there are high status kilns, which would have served the Roman villas in that area. It, it's a lesser known part of Oxford history that some Romans bizarrely wanted to retire there. It can't have been the best climate, but there you go. <laughs> Far from Rome, the blue dusk settles at a rate and fields can be forgotten as they are, as they were appear uppermost, lidded, swept smooth, beneath, left still, kiln-fired vessels belonging to him, pleasing to his strong, torn hands, so very much not in Rome, this redeployed general, the sea mixed in your eyes, arrived at cruel decisions, yet stalling execution. I would have sworn to die for you sooner than try to live with you. The sea swarms in my ears. I sift your breath through mine. A modern probe might take me for less than human remains, for nail seed dirt and cumin. I wouldn't mind being her and yours, but not in this life, the intolerable one, which when the blue dusk scratches, lends it my eyes. To discern alone your life indicts me, such knowledge a reburial. Turn me to copper, one of you gods he only temporized with. Melt me down, then score me, the music for last things. There's another otherness, uh, which is the relation between humans and animals uh, when we aren't treating animals as pets. Uh, I mean, I, I do love animals, but I think that pets can be incredibly corrupting in all sorts of ways. Uh, there's a hawking glove in the Ashmolean Museum in Oxford uh, from the 1500s. Uh, and if you've read Ages for Hawk by Helen MacDonald, or perhaps have had any close relation with hawks, you'll know the utter and humbling lack of compromise there is between a bird of prey and those who would try to handle or approach it. Handfast. She is away. The feathers in my eyes spoke outwards. She is the accident that happens. The sun bursts hazel on my shoulders. She is the point of any sky. Come here, here, here. If it's a tree you'd sulk in, I am pine. If earth, I'm risen terracotta. If it's all to air you'd turn, turn to me. You are flying inside me. Seventy times her weight, I stand fast. My hand is blunt and steady. She is fierce and sure, 
lands, scars, punctures the glove skin. And why I asked for spirals stitched where she might perch, fjord blue, holm green, scarlet, sand. Like her bloodline, Iceland to Arabia, because her hooded world's my hand. I'm going to do two more. I do a lot of prose poems, uh, but I'd rather do poems which behave with a slightly more recognizable line, because it's Sunday morning. <laughs> There's another kind of othering, uh, which is in terms of appropriation of voice, uh, about which there are various debates. And uh, I think part of what I would always want to do is, yes, argue for the need to extend oneself imaginatively into that which is other than oneself, because, I mean, one is other from oneself anyway, but also to keep quite a strict eye on who controls the means of production, who controls the play of representations and reviews. I've always been quite sorry for the men who killed Thomas Beckett. They get quite a bad rep. I don't know if anyone says masses for their soul. And uh, when my train was stuck on the way to Glasgow, I was wandering around Carlisle, and uh, there's a replica of the sword of Hugh de Morville there, who, who wasn't, I mean, it's not displayed anymore. A friend of mine asked to see it, uh, and she was told it's not signaled anymore. It's hidden behind some chairs. And I wondered, how do you get into the state of mind where you go and do something like that? Disposal of a weapon. I had to take it somewhere. That was the steel. I took it home. That was in stone. They had to leave it somewhere. That was the shell. The church stepped in. That was in storm. Steel, stone, shell, storm. Another cathedral, rage rising, crowds towards us against our hard work. Thomas, head split, forcing Herring's gate with his loud and bloody treasons. Pray, how could I, lacking fluent parlance, else control them? as clouds address my hilly sheep in Northumbria, in a tyrant's robed balconied words, with sweets that trade poisons, visitors, modern, unburied, probing my rests after my doubtless victim's blessing. Also you, thoughtless, yet in secret, capitally troubled, that is not my sword, though something targets your head, overhangs the roof, disposed to make short gold of your moment of starred blue. That is not my sword, we are elsewhere. Steel, stone, shell, storm. I, Hugh de Morville, Lord of Nesborough, honor of Westmoreland, 
lineal man stamped down, man-killer, saint-maker by Canterbury history. Bless Ortleaf's excoriate, do not forget my name. And the last one, the last one I'm going to read, uh, I don't actually want to drink water, but I do think it interrupts things a bit, I'll drink it after. There's a very curious way in which people become fused with traditional occupations. And a landlady of mine, though she didn't boast about it, I only know about this because I've done database work with Oxford Dictionary, comes from a family with a more than 200 year tradition of stag stalking. And she's one of the people who's involved in the ecological cull of deer in Scotland. And for about two or three weeks beforehand, uh, she starts going into a kind of darkened and quiet state. And if you meet her around the house, uh, it's like meeting a sort of shadow version of herself. Uh, she's going into a kind of almost zen state. And I was thinking about this and I was thinking about the curious fusion between the stag and the stalker. And then I was thinking of the fusion between the poet and the poem, or really anyone who uses language, uh, which is imperfect in its relation to thought, uh, but nonetheless fused with thought. Stalker for K.M. Grant. He waits. Without knowing me, he waits. The tips of branches, edible and whiny, bring spring by suggestion to him who in autumn dawn, eager with wet knees, disregards me, being drawn by me. He waits, and in me he waits. I branch, the form is branching, it bounds like sight from dark to bright back again. The form is from me. It is him, poem, stag, first sight, and most known. In him I wait when he falls. Needs must, hot heap, nothing left over, tree-like no longer, nor forlorn. We're totaled. I think we've got time for a few questions, if you'd like. <laughs>